Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, Fellowship Asheville, whether you're in person or online. Uh, I'm glad you're with us today. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. Thanks, uh, guys, for leading us in worship. I feel like I'm done. Let's go, shall we? Um, uh, uh, Here's what um, I hope happens today. Um, I am a feeler by nature. I'm a counselor by bent. I'm a a teacher, and even in teaching, I lead people to hopefully experience the presence of God. Here's the deal. Not everybody in this room and not everybody listening is a feeler, right? Some of you are people I don't understand. You are thinkers, right? And, And even in moments like this, it is confusing to you. Right? Because you approach God with your, your head first. Right? Here's what I want you to know. Number one, that is okay. Right? And today, what I hope happens is that all of us think about what we're going to see today in God's Word. Because what I'm going to ask all of us to do is to put on your thinking cap and to think. Right? And so we're going to go through this message, and I'm going to prompt you with questions and prompt you uh, with things to consider. And, and I want all of us to approach God not just with our hearts, but also with our heads. And if you're a person that approaches God with your mind first, I think you're going to love this message. Right? Because we're not going to end in a feeling place. We're going to end in a thinking place. All right? So with that, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 32 through 45. And, and as you're turning there, uh, there was this uh, study done in the 1970s, right? And a question was asked specifically to athletes. And, and the question was this, if you could take a drug which would guarantee you overwhelming success in your sport, but in five years it would kill you, would you take it? Over 50% of the athletes that asked said yes, they would. Here's what's interesting. 2009, I think, yeah, 2009, the same study was conducted to athletes. And they were asked the same question. If you could take a drug that would guarantee you overwhelming success in your sport but would kill you in five years, would you take it? Only 6% said yes. They asked a follow-up question. What if it didn't kill you? In five years, would you take it? If it just gave you overwhelming success in your sport, would you take it? Only 12% said yes. What's the big difference between 1970 and 2009? I think it's because we have this thing called media and social media, which has torn down the facade of what greatness is. Right? That we see now celebrities, we see athletes who are great in their sport, and we see that their life has crumbled around them. And so, what we've seen is this we've seen that being great doesn't guarantee a great life, right? Being great at something. Right, Whatever it is, being great at your job, being great at your sport, being great at school, being great at whatever it is that you want to be great at, being great at that thing doesn't necessarily produce a great life, that there's more to it. And I think we could probably name countless athletes that came to mind as I was telling that, right? Not just to pick on athletes. Um, uh, anybody, um, you know, this could be true for anybody. Simon Sinek 
was talking about a friend of his. And from, from her childhood, she wanted to be on Broadway. She wanted her name and the big lights, right, on Broadway. And for 25 years of her career, her first 25 years of her career, that's all she gave her life to, was doing everything she could to be on Broadway. And 25 years later, there she was on Broadway, right? And what's interesting is after that moment, after her name were in the big lights, after the curtain went down, what she was left with was disappointment and depression. Why? Because... That's all she knew to live for. I was even in a room with a, a bunch of different pastors. This was a few years ago. It was before the, the pandemic, just to give you a time reference. It was before you didn't know what time things were. It was then, right? Everything's kind of blended together, right? We have pre-COVID and then afterwards, right? And so this was pre-COVID. And I was in this room with pastors of, of, of different denominations, and there was one pastor in there that was just getting ready to retire. And all he wanted to do was be a senior pastor. And he had been a senior pastor faithfully serving Jesus for years. And the question that was left in his mind, which I'm so glad that he voiced, it was so real and, and honest and authentic. His question wasn't, I'm excited to see what's next. His question was, do you think God will still use me? Right? One of the most powerful questions that we can ask ourselves is why. Now, I say this, that can also be one of the most shaming questions that you can ask somebody else, right? Anybody been on the, 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 the back end of the question, why did you do that? Right? You don't have to elbow, like, yes, we all have been, right? That question can produce a whole lot of shame. But the question turned inward, why asked of yourself, can produce a whole lot of clarity. I've heard it phrased this way, what's my why? Right? What's my why? What's my why in, 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 in any particular sport? Athletes, like, what's your why for playing the sport? Right? What's your, what's your why for, for going to school? What's your why at work? What's your why for the friends that you have? What's my why for, for, for the classes that I take? What's my why for even engaging with this church? Why? Right? Well, here's what Mark is going to do today. Is, is we've been in this book now for, for 10 chapters. You know, we've told you about the, the three different sections. The first section was, was, was who is Jesus? And if you had to sum it up in a word, it'd be wow. You saw him do some incredible stuff. The second section is what if Jesus really is the Messiah, right? And, and if you had to phrase it up in a word, that word would be hmm, right? Because he keeps challenging the disciples about what they think is the difference between the, the kingdom of, of God and the kingdom on earth, right? The, the kingdom of man. And, and he keeps showing them that the kingdom of God is the real kingdom. And this is the way things really work, not the way you think it works. And we're getting to the end of that section. Next week, we'll finish it. But, but what Mark does here in this section of passage is he shows us Jesus's why. Why did he come to earth? Why did he give his life as a ransom for many? Why? And in that, as we go through that, what I hope that we will all do with our thinking caps on, what I hope that we will all do is consider what's my why in relation to Jesus's why. 
Let his why be the grid that your why goes through. Does that make sense? They, they taught me when I was a teacher, never ask that question because people just nod because they want to move on, right? So I hope it does. If not, go back and listen later. Maybe it will later, right? Let's look at verse 32. Verse 32 says this, chapter 10, verse 32. Um, and... Uh, as, let's see, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. So this is Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, right? And those who followed were afraid. So he had all different kinds of stuff going on, the people that were following Jesus. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what is about to ha- what is what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. Now, one commentator said that the the way Jesus was walking with his disciples, the way that Mark captured the the way he was walking with his disciples, with Jesus in front and the disciples behind, was was similar to a a, a triumphant victory march. When when somebody would come in and conquer a land, this is how they would march with the, the captain in front, the leader in front, and the people behind, and flags and all this stuff, and it was this pomp and circumstance, except here, Jesus isn't leading a, a victory march. He's leading a march to death. Now, victory is coming, right? But not yet. And if you were one of the disciples and you were experiencing this and Jesus was ahead and yeah, we're going to Jerusalem, finally he's going to take over, it would feel like a victory march, right? Like this is my king and he is about to kick Rome out and we will finally have our rightful place again. Let's do this. And then Jesus starts talking about what? His death. That he will be handed over to the people that are causing all of this. The, 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 the religious leaders and the scribes. And, and he will be killed. And he'll be killed on a Roman cross. And, and, and then he says, oh yeah, and you know, three days later I will rise again. Right? They always seem to like check out by then. Right? Whenever Jesus gets to that, it seems not to register. What's interesting is this is the third time. That Jesus has laid out this plan clearly in the book of Mark, right? And every time he does, there's this odd reaction from the disciples. Remember the first time he did it? What did Peter do? He took him back and said, Jesus, I need to rebuke you for that. Right? Do you remember how that went over? As you would expect if you try and rebuke the Son of God, right? The next time he brought it up, all of a sudden the disciples start talking about who's the greatest, Right? Who's the greatest disciples? Right? Well, here we're going to see a similar reaction to those two. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right? Yeah, laugh. Like it's, it's, it's okay to, to see the irony and the, and the conflict in what Jesus has just told them and what Mark is saying was their very next words out of their mouth. And it's a bold question, isn't it? Parents, what would you do if your child came up to you and said, hey, I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you? Right? Kids, what would you do if your younger sibling came up and asked that question? 
I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you. All right? It is a bold question. But let me give you a little bit of background. And, 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 and I will say, what I'm doing here in giving you this background is trying to help understand why this question made sense to them. I'm pulling a little bit from Scripture, but I'm also pulling from church tradition and, 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 and what church tradition says about how people were related to who. Because in church tradition, James and John are also cousins of Jesus. Not just John the Baptist, but James and John are cousins of Jesus. Because they, church tradition says that their mother is, is Salome, or however you say her, her name. I'm not exactly sure, but she is, is Mary's sister, right? And actually, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it's not James and John that asked this question. It's their mother that asked this question of Jesus. And she's not asking for herself. She's asking for her kids. Doesn't that sound like a good mom, right? Like Jesus Honey, sit down. Listen, I got a question for you. What are you going to do with them? Right? Because I need them to be in a place of power. I need them to be in a place of, of position. Right? And if James and John are Jesus' cousins, it's easier to see them asking this question, right? Because after all, Jesus is Jesus, and after all, they are family. And when, when, when your cousin is the son of God, you ask things, right? Even though they may seem bold, and even though they may seem a little bit, a little bit ironic and, and conflicting and maybe even silly to us, to them, somehow this made perfect sense to ask Jesus to do for them whatever they want. Right? But what we're going to see is that James and John are still concerned about who is going to be the greatest. But this time, it's not based in performance like it was last time. This time, it is based in position. And so here's a question that I want you to ask yourself as you try to figure out your why. Does your why, whatever area that, that you're thinking about, whatever area you want to apply this to, does your why seek greater position, title, or promotion? right? Is that your why is to get a bigger platform, to get a better title, to get a better office, to get one of those C-suite offices, to get one of, the, one of the executive offices? Is that your why? Is that what's behind your why? Because it's what was behind theirs. Let's look and see verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. So what's interesting is they have figured out that at some point Jesus will be in glory and he will be the one sitting on the throne. And what they're saying is, hey, we want to be on your right and we want to be on your left. We want to be right there ruling with you, right? They want to share that throne with Jesus, and if I can let you in on some fun language stuff here, the only other time that Mark uses this phrase, one on his right and one on his left, does that sound familiar? Is when Jesus is crucified. It's the only other time that Mark uses this phrase. Not just in reference to what they wanted here, but in reference to what really happened, that there was two people, one on Jesus' left and one on Jesus' right. And I think what Mark is doing is he is making this connection for us. We want a throne and Jesus offers us a cross. Right? We want to co-throne 
And Jesus says, co-crucifixion is the way to go. Right? Again, kingdom of God, kingdom of man. Kingdom of man wants title, wants position, wants platform. Kingdom of God wants something different. Right? We want the promotion. Jesus offers humiliation. We want a victory parade without even fighting the war yet. And Jesus offers a death march to win the war. You see, Jesus is going to do what he does best, and he's going to show these disciples and us through them the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says this, And he said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, Yes, sir. They said, we are able. Sign us up. Now, here's what's interesting. The question Jesus is asking to them, they fully understand. When Jesus starts talking about a cup and a baptism, like we think about a a little pool in here with a hot tub heated up nicely. We think about about little cups with grape juice and crackers or wine, if that was your experience, and bread. Like, Like we think about something very different. In Isaiah and Psalms, when when cup and baptism are mentioned. It doesn't mean what, what we experience and what we experience with those things. What it means is it means suffering and disaster to them. That's what Jesus was asking them. Are you ready to suffer and go through disaster? Because that's what's ahead of me. And if you want to be with me, this is what's going to happen. Jesus says, are you ready for crisis and chaos? Because that's what you're going to experience. Now, what's interesting is this passage doesn't say that James and John stepped to the side, prayed about it, thought about it, went to Jesus and said, hey, give us about three days, pray and fast on this. It's a big question, big ask. Let us think about it and we'll come back to you. Mark is showing us that as soon as the words were out of Jesus' mouth, their answer was, we're in. It's almost like they had talked about it beforehand. And they had talked amongst themselves and said, whatever it takes, let's do it. Right? They were ready for any risk as long as it got the reward. Right? Which I know sounds really noble, doesn't it? But if it's in this context of them wanting position, it's not as noble as we may think. Right? Because their thought is, we can handle crisis and we can handle calamity as long as we get a throne with you at the end of it. Right? In your why, do the ends justify the means? Because that's where they are. And here's, here's what I mean. To get that position, to get that platform, to get that title, to be that great sport, to be that, that overwhelming success that I was talking about in sports, are you willing to cut corners, break laws, cheat on tests, right? And do things that if found out would not be approved of. At least by your conscience. They might be approved of by the people you're around, And by the culture of the company you're in. But not approved of by the Holy Spirit in your conscience and in your will. Like like that's what the ends justifying the means means. It means that I will say yes to anything as long as I get what I want. 
And that's what they're doing, right? It is the person who is, who is not married, who, who is in love with someone and is willing to compromise their own purity and their own physical boundaries as long as they get married at the end of it. Right? That's the way they're thinking right now. The ends will justify the means. James and John want a co-throne and Jesus is offering them a co-crucifixion, a co-suffering. Look at verse 39. Verse 39 says this. And they said to him, we are able. But Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for, the, it is for those uh, for whom it has been prepared. Interestingly, when you look at the 12 disciples that Jesus is talking to, John and James are the first and last disciples to die. Right? James we see in Acts 12, chapter 2. He is the first of those 12 to be martyred for his faith. And then John actually lives a very long life, but the end of his life, he is imprisoned on Patmos. And in Patmos, there were mines that prisoners had to work in. And so at an old age, he is working in these mines under the, the slave labor of that area, right? Under the slave labor of Rome. And so, so his life was full of crisis and disaster, but yet we also see that he served God faithfully through all of that. And so he kind of picks up on this at some point, right? That even if this wasn't the case, Jesus is telling them he doesn't play favorites, now, what's interesting is they have forgotten a little bit of his teaching where Jesus does actually pay, play favorites. He says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? He opposes the proud, but the humble are his favorites. They miss that part of the little huddle with Jesus, right? Because they're still thinking, I want to be co-throne with you. I don't want to be humble about it. I'm going to be prideful about it. You know, it's kind of like, you remember, this is where they are. Anybody ever play shotgun when you're walking up to the car? The first one to say shotgun, what happens? You get to ride in the front seat, right? First one to say shotgun gets to ride in the best seat. This is where James and John are. They want to be the first disciples to ask this question. Right? They want to ride in the front seat. Let me ask you this. Does your why seek to put you first? Does the why that you're thinking about seek to put you first? Right, Because this is what James and John wanted. They wanted to be ahead of everyone else. They wanted to be above of everyone else, above the other disciples. As you can imagine, this did not go over great. Look at what happens in verse 41. Verse 41 says this. And when the ten heard it, so this is the other disciples that heard this conversation going on. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Right? Can you imagine? You've been with these guys for a few years, right? And all of a sudden, they're playing for position. And the other disciples are like, dude, what, what are you doing? And they start holding this grudge against them in many ways. Because let's be honest, a grudge is much easier to carry than a cross. Right? in the way of suffering that Jesus is offering. But Jesus is going to get everyone back on board, y'all, because that's what he does. 
right? He doesn't leave them and he doesn't leave us there. Look at verse 42. Um, Verse 42, it says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Right? Jesus saying, listen guys, you know this is the way position works. In the kingdoms that you have experienced, this is how it works. Those with power and those with position do everything they can to keep it. Because if they lose that power and position, they don't have a why anymore. They're left empty and they're left void. And nobody wants that. And this is the way the world works, right? Those with power and position do everything they can to keep it. Have you ever experienced this? Like those with the connections get the job, right? Not those without the connections. Those with the money stay around those with money. Those with status promote those they know and those with status. Anybody experienced this dynamic out on the playground? Do you remember this? Right? I think we probably all have students like, have you ever seen other people picked because they were friends with the picker? Right? It still happens when we go to work, doesn't it? Right? We've all seen promotions given to those who haven't earned it and even those who don't need it just because they know the person giving the promotion. That's the way the kingdom of man works, right? Like many of us, before the summer of 2020, I hadn't heard of critical race theory, right? And then suddenly everybody was talking about it. So I kind of did some diving into it. What in the world is this? What's the history of it? How does this, how does this actually play out? And y'all, listen, there's still a whole lot I don't understand about critical race theory. It really is a deep dive. But here's what I do know in a, in a, in a big general sense. Is that as a philosophy, and in some cases as a religion, as it's made by some, I disagree with it. Right? But... That doesn't mean I can't learn from it. And what I've seen in critical race theory is that they are agreeing with Jesus right here. That people with power and position will lord it over those without power and position. Right? But here's the deal. Jesus has a better offer and a better solution than really anything philosophy, or psychology. And I love those things. But Jesus has a better answer and a better solution than those. And he has a better solution than critical race theory. Look at verse 43. Verse 43 says this, But it shall not be so among you. Right? He's saying, God, this is the way the world works. Those with power and position will do everything they can to keep it because they, they lord it and they, they exercise authority over you. But guys, listen to me. Disciples, listen to me. Not here. Not in the kingdom of God. Those with power and position, we don't lord it over others. We don't exercise authority the way the world does over others. We don't lean on family for a better position. 
right? We don't have side conversations among ourselves so that we can promote ourselves above everybody else. We don't put other people down so we can lift ourselves up. We do life differently. And here's how. Verse 43 says this. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? What does it say? Servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You see, in the kingdom of God, in the way of Jesus, it's not about promotion and position. It is about serving the other person. And as a matter of fact, just so Jesus doesn't leave us confused, he uses a different word in the next verse to kind of define it a little bit more. Look at verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Right? He goes from servant to slave. Now, the word slave here is the Greek word doulos. Now, doulos is a word that can sometimes be translated bondservant. And this word doulos is used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's used as a person who uh, willingly gives themselves to a master, willingly gives themselves to a landowner to be their servant all of their life. And, 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 and like it's a good word, it's an incredible illustration of what we do with Jesus, that we come to him and we say, yes, we are your servant all lifelong. It also has you sometimes of just a slave, Someone who doesn't willingly step into it, but someone who, who is forced into slave labor. Either way, it's used as a slave. The word before that, servant, is the word deaconos, right? That means servant. That means messenger. It, it's a title. It's where we get deacons in the church. It's where we get a title from. And, and here's what I love. Whether it's doulos, whether they're willingly a slave or whether they're forced to be a slave, they're still, guess what? A slave. When Jesus says servant, he doesn't want his disciples confused that all they have to do is deliver a message, Right? They don't have to be just messengers. They don't have to be people that have a title to do what he's about to ask them to do, to live in the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. It's deeper than that. You get to be a slave, right? Because there's something about a deacon that sounds good, doesn't it? I get to go to a meeting once a month. Because we all love meetings, right? But I get to hear what's happening in the church. I get to pray for the church. I get a fun title. Do I get business card? No, no, no. <laughs> we used to put your website on the, your email on the website, but then everybody got, got junk email sent to them. So we stopped that. So you don't even get that, you know, but, but, but you, it's still fun, right? Jesus said, no, 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 no. Like you, you get to be a slave. And notice what's next, because this goes against the world too. You get to be a slave to who? What's the word after that? Say it again. All. You are a slave to all. Because here's what the world does. The world says, I don't mind serving rich people because I'm rich. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't mind I don't mind uh, doing, doing this because I'm just like them, right? Here's what's fun about this Greek word, all, is that it can be a tricky word, right? 
Because we like to do that, right? Like, like whether it's a group of people or sometimes it's a small group of people, um, it's a word that's used over 200 times in Scripture. And here's what it means. All really does mean all, right? Jesus wasn't being confusing when he said this, right? Because, because without serving all, it does keep power and position in play because the disciples could have easily thought, okay, so we're Jewish, so that means we serve who? Jewish people, right? Regardless of from the very beginning in Genesis, the promise to Abraham was that you'd be a blessing to all nations. We will serve Jewish people, right? In our world, we're comfortable serving people who look like us, right? We're comfortable serving people with, with, with white skin because we have a lot of white skin in this place. You go to churches that don't and they're comfortable serving people of their skin color, right? The educated serve the educated. What did Jesus say? Not so among you. You are a slave to all. And so two questions for you to consider. Does your why have you serving others? Does it have you serving others? Does it have you as a a slave to others? And then the next question is, does your why push you outside of your normal crowd? Right? Because listen, I mean, this is what humans do. We gravitate toward people who are like us. You know, that's part of our nature. What I'm saying is that does your why, whatever your why is, put you in a place with people that are outside of that normal crowd? Think about it. Does this kind of rub you the wrong way? It it, it did mean Jesus is going to show us the why behind this. And he's going to show the disciples their why. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come to earth to have every king bow to him, right? He could have ruled all the lands of the earth. Satan even tempted him with that offer. That's how real it was. But Jesus knew his why. He knew that he came to serve and not be served. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And the greatest example of this is him dying on the cross. Innocent, yet dying the death of a convicted criminal. Right? Seeing Jesus give up his life under the umbrella of this why, so that you and I and the disciples could have life, could be ushered into this kingdom of God, this brand new way of thinking for these disciples, this way of thinking and living and believing that goes against everything that we see outside of the word of God. Jesus came to do that. And when he says give his life as a ransom for many, it means it means this, this amount to be paid to free a prisoner. Like he didn't post bail. He didn't just get them out of jail so they could see the judge later. Right? He bought their freedom. He bought it. And when you say yes to Jesus, you 
are free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and you get to have the life that he died for. You see, this is Jesus' why, and it's the why behind his plan, and, and, and it's the why that brings us life. And so let me ask you first, have you gone to Jesus to purchase your freedom? Right? Do you still keep trying to find freedom in other places? Freedom in promotion, freedom in a job title, freedom in more money, freedom in your own behavior, that if you can do enough good things and not enough bad things, then it'll tip the scale and God will love you. That's not the way this works. Not so among us. Among us, we have Jesus. And if that's not you, then today can be the day, and it's simple. It's saying yes to Jesus' offer of a relationship with God through him. It's saying yes to his ransom. Right? Saying yes to his offer for the freedom from the power and the penalty of sin in your life. And for those who have done this, another question for you. Is your why connected to Jesus' why? Is your why connected to Jesus' why? Is it to serve or is it to be served? Is it to show how Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all? Like, what is your why? And I'll just end with a few more questions, and then, and then we'll pray and, and, and worship. And, and these, you know, just think about these. How do you respond when given a task that's beneath you, right? Beneath your experience, beneath your pay grade. How do you respond? It may be an indication your why may be a little off, right? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to have a servant as Lord? that one who came to serve as your king. Question is, how do you define greatness? Like, I think that's important in knowing your why. And then finally, what position in life are you attaining to? And this position appeals to you because. And so church, hear me. If Jesus came to serve, to be a slave to all, can we? By his power, by the filling of his Holy Spirit, by the promise of his resurrection that happened in the, in, the, in the promise of our resurrection one day. And knowing that we live in this in-between time where it is just difficult and hard. But can we? Can we be a slave to all? Because as we do, we become more like Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Um, um, we've got four other Sunday coming up a couple of weeks. I know uh, Matt laid on the guilt last week, so we're all good. But, Grady, could you do me a favor and put the slide up of Oakley? No, not that one. Good guess, though. Um, uh, the one that shows Oakley Elementary from the announcements. Give you just a minute. Here's why I want to show you this. If... Uh, the, uh, that one. Yeah, that one right there. Okay. Can y'all see that? If the school property looked that clean, they wouldn't need us. Right? There's green grass, there's flowers, there's all the things. Guess what? It doesn't look like that. Look at it when you go out. They've got leaves this tall, like they need us to come do what they're not able to do. So let's go do that. And if you can't do that, we've got stuff here to serve our police officers and, and to serve our firemen that are catty corner from here. And so we do that because Jesus did. 
And that's just the start. If we can let this seep into our life, and here's what I want you to do. As you consider your why, please let me know what your why is this week. Email me. Hit me up on Facebook, whatever. Just let me know what your why is. In any area that you choose, I would love to. It would encourage me. Let's get church. It'd bless my heart, y'all. It'd bless my heart to know what your why is and to see how God's using you in the places that he has you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love to laugh. We love that we can come together and, 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 and by your spirit be convicted where we need conviction and be encouraged where we need encouragement. And Jesus, that all of that will be to your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.